The Juke is back with Dr. Jen Welter. I am Mitch Milani. We are here to discuss, of course, the NFL, the latest and the greatest. What's going on, Jen? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I think Julio is about to be good. Julio Jones. I mean, come on, Julio. What do you know? Where do you want to go? Do we know? He's got to make up his mind. Or the Atlanta's got to make up their minds. I, I want to see this trade happen. I'm too excited. I'm I'm on the edge of my seat here waiting for Julio Jones to get traded. We found out and we discussed it last week about the potential of the Patriots and the Titans. And those two teams still very much seem to be in the race for Julio Jones. But there have been other teams that have popped up throughout the course of the last couple of weeks. Some have left the building and some have stayed around. We've heard rumors about the Ravens, but now it appears the Ravens are out. And then we heard about the Rams because they want to trade for everybody, but they're out too. But (laughs) there's a couple teams that do seemingly want to trade for Julio Jones. And that is the Seattle Seahawks and the Los Angeles Chargers, two new teams in the mix. Which one of those teams kind of interests you the most? I'm interested in both for different reasons, right? Like we saw the young quarterback take charge of the Chargers last season, could be Mm -hmm. dynamic. Also, they have, you know, some different building blocks. The Seahawks, I mean, is is Julio going to play D-line? Because I'm still worried about their (laughs) D-line much more than that. I think that Russ has wanted some help. Obviously, Julio could go up and get it. You know, I'm still confused on what they're doing on defense, but it could be a great one on offense for them. And I don't count the Patriots out, just saying. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't count the Patriots out, but we went in depth about the Patriots already last week. So I did want to give a little bit of shine towards these two teams. When you look at the Chargers, to me, I think that's the one that honestly interests me the most. I don't think it would really change the landscape of the NFL quite the way the Seahawks getting Julio would. Because I really think if the Seahawks got Julio, we're talking about like just stud receivers like you arguably have three number one receivers for russell wilson there and then that Mm -hmm. offense would just be very fun to watch of course we still want to talk about the defense and (laughs) what they can do but julio would certainly help the defense because they'd just be scoring more points as for the chargers though they interest me because of what you said about justin herbert like he's the young dog he's the guy that everybody's looking at as the next guy in the nfl to take that jump and he he has keenan allen mike williams has been pretty good but adding a julio jones and then what they did to that offensive line this offseason would just completely reshape this offense make them very very good and they could be real interesting in the in that same division with the chiefs this year i I think it's going to be really interesting to see which team really goes there because Mm. this is picking up a superstar and this is also a superstar who is a little later in his career so when you pick him up you're not saying we're building long term necessarily Right. right it could be a few years but what you are saying is we think we can win right now I'm giving him two years you're saying we can do it in two to pick him up, to commit that money, that's what you're saying. So whatever team makes that jump, to get him, I think you're you're really putting a stamp on the fact that you feel like you can do it right now. Like you said, with the Seahawks, they have a lot of weapons, but you've also had a little bit of disgruntled Russell Wilson. And right. so, you know, if they gave Julio to Russ, it's doing exactly the opposite of what Aaron Rodgers has been complaining about in Green Bay forever. Like, can we just get this? You know, and I know it's it's better now than it was, but at what point are you really saying like, 
we believe in you and we're going to surround you with everything that you need. And Julio Jones coming to one of those teams, it, it really does send a message. Yeah, I, I think for that reason, it makes Seattle a lot more desperate to make that move because obviously there's the want from Russell Wilson. And apparently Russell Wilson was at the Super Bowl, like talking about Tom Brady and like all that he had. And he was like, why can't I have this stuff? Right. <laughs> right. But he's reaching that end of his peak. So you want to give whatever you can to fuel that Super Bowl run now because you don't know how long that window is going to be open. You know, when you flip that to the Chargers, you're not desperate to make that move right now because it's Herbert's second year. You just brought in a new head coach. Yeah, if I'm Julio, if I have options, that's important to me, right? Like, what is your legacy if you have been close to a Super Bowl but haven't quite gotten there? Like, you want to win one. You don't, you don't want to say, oh, you were one of the best but right. Like you have this element of mm -hmm. your career that you never got. And for me, that's where I'm looking at it right now. Um, it's not as much about money as it is about career legacy and impact. So if I have a choice, if there's a few teams on the table, I'm going to the one that I believe has the best shot at winning a Super Bowl, which means, you know, obviously being able to take down the existing champs. And not just the best shot, but also the want to take that shot. Like that's the first step is there's a lot of teams in the NFL that don't even take the shot. Seattle has consistently shown that they're willing to take the shot. They've tried to make this team consistently. They made a trade way back for Jimmy Graham to try to do the same thing, to put them over the top to get that second Super Bowl that's been elusive to them ever since not handing the ball off to Marshawn Lynch. So at least I credit them for that because they've always been all in. And this would just be another move in the long line of moves of like, okay, we're all in once again. Like you said, for the defense, I do want to bring up a name real quick, just getting a little bit away from Julio Jones. He is Richard Sherman. So uh, Seattle, yes, they, they do struggle with the pass rushers, but they also don't have great depth at cornerback. And we know that Richard Sherman has played in this system his entire career, you know, in San Francisco and Seattle, and they could use a veteran like Richard Sherman. So what do you think about Seattle potentially bringing back Sherman? Sherman's a smart guy. Again, he's going to want a Super Bowl, right? And he's yeah. going to want to be at a team that has that ability and also values his leadership because he is an outspoken guy. This is a brilliant human and a brilliant player. Now, one of the ways that you can shore up your pass rush without shoring up your pass rush is to guarantee that you're getting enough time, right? We call it a yeah. coverage sack, whereas everybody's locked up and there's nowhere to throw the ball. Guess what? Now your quarterback is stuck with the ball in his hands for longer and you can make some of those differences. So maybe you look at Richard Sherman being able to help force that coverage sack type of issue. I would like to see a pass rusher, but I also do love Richard Sherman on that team. I think him and Pete Carroll together too, um, and maybe, you know, absence make the heart grow fonder, could bring that back and, and give them something on that side of the ball as well. Yeah, like it's not necessarily getting that lockdown corner or anything like that, but it's just like stability at that position. 
yeah, Sherman's not as fast or that he used to be or anything like that. And he's not going to lock down these guys, but like just the stability and knowing and the, the intelligence factor that he brings to the field. And of course, off the field where it's like, you can count on him being in, you know, just playing well, one of those corners on the outside. Cause I do look at their roster right now. And as much as we're talking about Julio going there, it's like, yes, they do need help on defense. And I do wonder, especially, you know, at that cornerback position where it's, there's a lot of turnover there. So just having a guy that you can say, sign off the street right now and being like, we know what he can do and what he can bring. I just think that's very valuable, but that there's other teams out there. I think that could also use Richard Sherman staying along the lines of, of Sherman, I look at a team like the Cowboys, which we've talked about at great length this offseason, who with Dan Quinn, of course, has familiarity with Richard Sherman. They could use that veteran presence, not as much just to play, but also just to help these younger guys grow. What do you think about that? Look, the Cowboys defense last year was sickening. One of the biggest things that Dan Quinn is going to have to do is to change the culture of that entire locker room and find a way to bring it together. Obviously, again, Richard Sherman is smart. He is a great leader. If I'm going between him and somebody else, I'm probably going to the other side. So (laughs) that does open up that opportunity because you know he's so smart, he's also dangerous, right? Like uh, I'm targeting someone else. But to bring that intelligence into your locker room and someone who could do it, I mean, it would be smart for the Cowboys. I don't know where they're at right now in terms of what their philosophy is going to be. I'm fine with them bringing him in. I hope they're smart enough to bring him in actually. Yeah. I just hope he goes somewhere like you said, that has an opportunity to win. Cause I don't want to see him on like, no offense to the Raiders, but like, I don't want to see him on the Raiders. I just don't like, I'd rather see him on the Seahawks, the Cowboys or the Niners or somewhere like that. So that's just well, my and opinion. And a big on market that. team. Right. He's a big market guy. Right. He's a guy who you want to be somewhere where, you know, he's going to be seen where his games are going to be in prime time. Like he is that guy to me. And I want him to not only be able to do that on the field, but to do that as the person he is. Uh, There's another I guess he he could also go to the Jets. I don't think the Jets are going to be very good, but he loves Robert Sala, though. I know he does. And it's hard not to love Robert Sala. But if I'm Richard Sherman, again, (laughs) at this point in my career, um, maybe I'm calling Julio and being like, yeah, where are you going? Where are you going? Right. Like, where are you going? What are you going to do? Because I want these guys who have been iconic in the league for a very long time to, if they're going to move, not just move to move, but make moves, Mm -hmm. right. And and be able to influence those around them and hopefully be able to really like win some games and be competitive. Do we have a prediction? Cause I feel like Julio Jones is going to land. And, and, and I know you asked me for my prediction earlier, so I'll give it, but I want to hear yours first. You always want to hear mine first. I want to hear yours first. I want to see where you're going to go with this. Because I don't want to give the same answer. I still, I really felt like it was going to be Patriots. That was my intuition when all the chatter went out. I really would like to see him being a big target for Cam. They have a relationship to me. I think some of these other teams are just sprinkling it in there. But I, I would like to see him go to the Patriots. The Patriots make the most sense. Like just from a standpoint of Belichick being aggressive, the clear position of need. Like I yep. just, they, it makes sense, uh, but and they if, revive, if I were to, 
right? Yeah. And he revives guys who are, you know, whether they are a little later, like I don't think Julio needs to be revived yet, but, you know, they've no. always been really good at taking somebody where he was and making yeah. him deadly again. I also think that just the relationship that him and Cam have, Cam needs somebody who, you know, he knows he can put it up to and really be able to go after it. And we already know what, what was it? You said 75% catch percentage last year. Yeah. It was Come pretty on. crazy last year. Yeah. It's insane. So that's the guy I want to give to a quarterback who I still believe in, but I need to give him like a little bit of security and, you know, permission to kind of go after it a little bit. And I think Julio does that for Cam. So I think if he, if he lands anywhere else other than New England, I, I do think it's going to be the Titans just because I think the Titans more than any other team could benefit from his presence the most. Yeah. Like if you add Julio Jones to the Titans, they all of a sudden are so much better than where I currently have them in my mind because I, I think having that other type of number one wide receiver is just going to make their offense so much better, so much more explosive, so much more difficult to defend and make their team catapult from maybe they win the AFC South to like, this is a for sure playoff team and an actual interesting playoff team. Now, flipping this question a little bit, I think asking the question of if you were Julio Jones and there were four teams lined up, these four teams lined up, which one would you pick? Not where do you think he's going to go, but like which one would be most interesting to you? Do you still think it's the Patriots? So you're saying Seahawks, Chargers, Patriots. Titans and Patriots. I don't know if there's other teams as well. I mean, there could be, but I don't know. Again, I'm going to go back to my theory of which team I think can win and win now. And the two teams that stand out to me in doing that right now are you know, East coast, West coast. So we got East coast. I'm saying okay. it's the Patriots West coast. It's Seattle. Like if they go after Julio with what they already have, I think they're saying it now. I still have questions about defense in Seattle. <laughs> Russ's offense obviously becomes really pretty powerful. If you add Julio into that equation, but I think the relationship between Cam and Julio, I know that they've wanted to play together before and just being able to play for Bill Belichick when he's on his comeback tour. I think the competitive nature of Julio goes that direction. I think that there's a clear question with New England and it's really like the quarterback. Like how much do you believe in whoever the quarterback is? And we believe it's going to be Cam. And I think you should believe it's going to be Cam. And if you believe in Cam, basically all the questions are answered. Right. Well, and you also have a good young backup who could be a succession plan. And yep. when you have a rookie quarterback, you need a seasoned receiver. You need the guy who doesn't have to have it be a perfect throw every time. Now, if we have questions on where Cam's arm was and some of that, guess who fixes yeah. it? Julio. But if you also <laughs> move away from Cam and you go, Mac Jones, you also have a target for him who can help bring along some of that just a little bit off that some of the rookies have. So I, I like him, whether it's Cam or Mac. Yeah, just a little side point on Mac. Apparently he's looking pretty good in OTAs. I know it's OTAs, but 
He's further along than most rookies as we thought he might be because of his IQ for the game. But we'll see how that develops throughout training camp. Definitely going to keep an eye on him during the preseason action and stuff like that. Even if he doesn't end up starting, just knowing where he's at at that point in the season, maybe Cam goes down, something happens, he has to step in and he'll have to be ready. So we'll see with Mac Jones. So we clearly think it's probably New England, but these other teams we've tried to make arguments for and feel like all of them would be pretty interesting and worthwhile to get Julio Jones. Let's get to the coaches of the year. And I actually, these odds are interesting to me. Kevin Stefanski's on top, potential coach of the year. And I think to give that just opinion real quick, I feel like Stefanski is the top dog because a lot of people look at the success of that team as talented as they are. And I think they say Stefanski's been the difference for the culture. And I think the offense and Baker stepping his game up. And I think a lot of people just around the league really like Kevin Stefanski. So I could certainly see him winning that award as long as the Browns are what we expect them to be. Obviously, Sean McVay is a clear option, but I actually wouldn't bet on him this year just because of the addition of Matthew Stafford makes the narrative less on McVay and more on the quarterback taking that shine away. Because you got to think, these awards are narrative awards. They're not always like who is actually the best coach because Bill Belichick would have won it like eight times. But, you know, McVay, it's a narrative award. Shanahan could win it because if it's Trey Lance at quarterback and they go to the playoffs and it's like, oh, this guy did it with a rookie and stuff like that. Like Reed would have to go like undefeated because everyone's like Mahomes is amazing. Brandon Staley, I could see that because the Chargers, if he takes them to the playoffs, I could see that being at how bad Anthony Lynn was last year in my opinion Flores if they make the playoffs with Tua I think yeah they they could make it but Sean McDermott is in bold on my screen uh, <laughs> do you see that as well Jen and that's I because do. our producer is a Bills fan he is a Bills fan and you know you can make the case for that because they yeah. actually have increased quite a bit um I don't know if it's going to be dramatic enough this year from last year to be the yeah. coach of the year because I think they're going to be pretty consistent I, I like this Stefanski take because they really have turned the Browns around right like this team first of all their O-line coach should get O-line coach of the year like if nothing else yeah. that needs to happen because it is one of the most impressive offensive lines in the National Football League if not the most impressive um I like the Kyle Shanahan possibility like you said with the quarterback also considering how decimated they were last year right because that would be a real the turnaround. turnaround the turnaround of the team I mean they had to be on the road for a whole month because right. of freaking COVID they were homeless so I could see that I don't think it's Andy Reid because of those same reasons right because you're so stacked I also don't think it it's Bill Bell well it could be Bill Belichick considering what they were last year Versus mm-hmm. what they could be this year. And one of my favorite ones on there is if you see Robert Sala actually yeah. turn in a respectable season and that team competes, right? They don't have to like win that much, but if they were close to even even knowing how bad the culture was before and you know that mm-hmm. they were projected to be the team with no wins at one point that could be an interesting one as well but I think it, it is like you said it's the narrative so Stefanski Shanahan 
possibly Belichick. One of them Kyle. that you haven't said stands out a little bit is Frank Reich, because if if he does some magic with Carson Wentz, I think a lot of people are going to give him the nod in terms of like, oh, you turn this quarterback around who is an absolute disaster last year and you made the playoffs. Like, I think people are going to look at him like, wow, you did a great job. Yeah. And it's possible, especially considering that they have a relationship too. So it is one of those situations where you could see a distinct turnaround because they, it's, yeah. you know, it's like the devil, you know, right? Like not everybody might think he's the greatest, but you know what he's really good at. You know how he was successful with you before. So you could see a pretty dramatic turn there. I don't know if that team is going to merit the attention to have the conversation be that this is the coach of the year. Like, I think it needs to be a primetime team. There's one guy not on this list that I do think should be on this list. And, and that's Sean Payton, because I think if the Saints are s- somehow good, a lot of people are going to say Sean Payton is the reason why, because like they're going from Breeze to Winston and there's a lot of turnover on that team. And, and people like myself, I'm just going to be honest, I inherently feel they're just going to have a natural dip. So if that doesn't happen, then I think that opens people's eyes. I think he would have to like do something like beat the Bucks to have that happen. And you could see it, right? Like that would be the comeback story of the decade, right? Jameis Winston knocks off Tom Brady, reclaims his, <laughs> you know, former glory against his old team. If you had something like that happen, no doubt that that would be the narrative. And I, I would be a big fan of that narrative. I do fear that they haven't done enough to get better yeah, other areas, yeah. right? Like you lost one of the best of all time. And yet I don't see where they've gotten better other than that. So I don't know that it could happen, but if it did, yeah, you're right. He should be on that list. No doubt. That's the thing. Like with the, the odds and the betting is always like, you're not necessarily playing what you think's going to happen or what's likely, but like, what is, what are the odds say? And then you kind of bet based on that. So that's the thing with Sean Payton is like, he's probably a long shot. I don't know where he lands, but I don't feel like that's a bad long shot. You know, I mean, it's such an interesting conversation, right? To think about what this could be and what that next season is going to be like, because there's a lot of factors in play. And one we haven't even talked about yet. We forgot a little bit about Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers? Well, he's not a coach. Well, no, I know, but I mean, just in general on this conversation, because it is a pretty hot topic that he was not there, right? Like, yeah. And no, that's interesting though. Matt LaFleur isn't on the coach of the year odds or like at least high on the odds. Well, I think that that would be pretty tough right now, considering that we don't know what his quarterback situation is going to be. Right. You have to plan twice. I have heard that Jordan Love was looking better than last year, although he's kind of easier to do that on air than under duress. And it's Uh, also easier to do that when you're comparing him to Blake Bortles and not Aaron Rodgers. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I mean, that is without a doubt, like a valid consideration, but do you think right now the Packers are saying like, we think he's bluffing by, you know, holding him to the fire. Do you think that Aaron Rodgers would sit out? I don't think he'll sit out. I think he's going to be back on the Packers. I think what's going to happen is he's going to play one more year with the Packers. He's going to say adios next. What if the Packers went and got Julio Jones? Do you think it increased? And that changes things completely. (laughs) Maybe Aaron Rodgers will wake up on the other side of the bed. 
Right. You know, honestly, that's the thing that kind of surprises me with some of these teams, right? If you know that he's disgruntled, it's like, okay, well, what do we need to do to fix it? Is there anything yeah. that could fix it? I understand his point about Jordan Love, right? You could have gotten me a huge target and then maybe we would have won some of these games that we didn't. But if it's like, hey, we really want you back. We're not going to trade you, but ooh, look what we got over here. You know, we we got you a, a shiny new toy. We've got you Julio and Adams. Do you need right. any more receivers? Do you want us to ask if Jerry Rice can come back? Jerry's still in pretty good shape. Um, <laughs> but that to me is kind of what I would be thinking is like, you know, he wanted the GM fired. Well, do you still want me fired if I got you Julio? Maybe it's too far though. Maybe like it's, they're just done. Like who knows? I have no idea. That's the discussions that the Packers ownership and GM should be having with Aaron Rodgers. Well, the ownership is tough because it's not an owner. I think that's where you see. I always forget. um, (laughs) But I think that's where you see some of this stuff break down, right? Like, because who is that final say? And you have three big personalities when you ever you talk about a GM, a head coach and a quarterback that's a franchise guy like that. There's three big personalities and there's no real final like person to make that call. I think that's tough. All right. Jen will be back. I'll be out. But yeah, Mitch is leaving me. He doesn't want to hang out again. anymore. It's cool, Mitch. It's cool. It's cool. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Appreciate another episode. Always a pleasure, Mitch. We have a a good question in here or a statement, I should say, from Coach Laxer. Huge pressure on Dallas coaches. Now I'm going to push back a little bit on, on this one with you, Coach, because I think that the Dallas Cowboys are actually poised um, in a pretty good position from a coaching standpoint next year. We have Mike McCarthy and he has Dak back, Andy Dalton. That's a tough blow from an offensive situation. Then add insult to injury because there were a lot of injuries on the offensive line. So we should be back healthy. We've got Dak back. The O-line is coming back. Zeke needs to do what he used to do. And then you, oh, by the way, have now Dan Quinn heading up your defense. The defense was a sore spot of the Dallas Cowboys last year. In fact, it was so bad that I said there was no D in Dallas. So they were the Alice Cowboys because it was painful to watch. It was that bad. Me as a defensive coach, I was literally texting Roy Williams and saying, hey, hitter, can you go get your pads and put them on so that you could go handle some of this? Because there just was no cohesion. There was very little hustle. There was a whole lot of frustration. It just was not in sync. And so now you have Dak back, you have your O-line back, and you have Dan Quinn with some real solid players in that defensive core. I think Jalen Smith will be reinvigorated. I think Vander Ash will also be reinvigorated, but will be fortified. And then you have Mika Parsons, who we all know is a dog, right? Like, so We're going to look at Dallas not as it was last year, and it's going to be a whole new team this year. And oh, by the way, it's really important that the whole division is no longer the NFC least. I don't think that you're going to see that this year. It's just not good for the National Football League when that division is so bad. And the Washington team with no name, sorry, They're going to build on what they had last year under Ron Rivera. I think they actually would have been even better if it hadn't been for the fact that, remember, Ron Rivera beat 
cancer last year and still put that team on an upswing. So let's look for that division to go from at least a little better to hopefully back to what we tend to look for with the NFC East. Uh, Coach Laxer, longtime Cowboys fan, see too many management owners, bad decisions over the last 10 years. But coach, you've got to look at this as not being the last 10 years. This is really a fresh start for a fresh team. I get it that you love the team, but you have to give this new coaching staff a chance to build their team and to actually take the things that they've been wanting to do and put them in play. Your defense got a huge upgrade on the coaching side, so it is not the swinging gate that it was last year. So give your boys a chance. I'm going to shift gears here for a minute because I think it's really important. Football is an important sport, but part of what makes sports so important in our society is that the impact that they have on culture. And for a very long time in sports, we've been taught never to admit fear, never to admit weakness. You tough it out, you suck it up. And yet we saw one of our young superstars, Naomi Osaka, first pushed back on the media which my belief is that she knew she was on the edge, that she was not feeling like herself and could not handle the extra scrutiny that would have been put on her by the media. And she first asked to not do interviews and she got a lot of flack for that. I felt like we were revisiting Marshawn Lynch. Like I'm just here so I won't get fined. Well, she wasn't there and she did get fined. And it turns out that it was not fine. So she chose her mental health over playing in the French Open. And she spoke openly about the fact that she was struggling with depression. And as somebody with a PhD in psychology, what I can tell you is that was one of the most powerful moments that we have seen in terms of mental health and athletes, because she chose herself over her sport. Some people don't like it. I get it. You want to see your athletes play. And in fact, you expect them to be all things to all people at all times, the least of which being subject to the same human emotions that we all have and some of the swings that we have experienced. And yet the person that she is and the power that she holds in normalizing conversations about depression should be admired because so many more people will be given the confidence to speak up about their own situations. In fact, you've seen many athletes come out and say, thank you. We're with you, queen, different things on social, but there's also been a few quotes that I just wanted to share. And it was, you know, mental health in the NFL athletes speak out to Carson daily. I still think the stigma is pretty strong, said Solomon Tom of the Las Vegas Raiders, who said he began to seek help after the death of his sister. That's the one reason I didn't come out and start speaking right away about my depression, about my journey and about my sister's journey. I was afraid of what fans would think or if teammates would think I'm soft. First of all, a chemical imbalance or human emotion is not in and of itself soft. Actually being willing to seek help and realizing that your mental health is part of your competitive advantage is a sign of strength. So let me put that doctor hat on. 
for a minute for you and just clarify that and said, we're three part beings. We're spiritual, mental, and physical said DeMario Davis of the New Orleans Saints. While being physically in shape matters to him, so does mental fitness. Even if you want to look at, you know, gladiators being on the field, what's going to make the best gladiator? That gladiator needs to walk out just as physically sharp as he is mentally sharp. Now, I'm going to get even a little bit more personal on this because having a PhD in psychology and specifically sports psychology, I'm trained to look at the world through the lens of excellence, through the eyes and the heart of competitive athletes. And we are trained to view the world differently. It's part of what makes us able to do superhuman things, right? A lot of people look at football and they think running and tackling somebody three times their size and they go, oh my gosh, that's larger than life. I could never do that. To athletes, it's what we do. It's a part of who we are. It's, it's not a big deal. In fact, it's very normal for us. What is not very normal for us is to admit fear or to admit weakness. We are taught to be stoic. We are taught that any sign of weakness is a place and a space where our competitors can take advantage of us. We were not allowed to say that we didn't feel right. We were not allowed to say that something was wrong here. And yet if something is wrong here, what you're not going to see is peak performance. If my mind is worried about, for example, being judged by teammates or by the media, what I'm not thinking about is what I have to do to be successful. And so as athletes, it's very important that we realize that true strength is not never admitting weakness, but that it is looking at weakness as an opportunity to get fortified, to become stronger, to learn how to not only handle the physical aspects of sport, but the mental aspects of life and to seek help is not the same thing as we've always been taught. We know how to train out physical weakness. We do. Lift more weights, go run harder, do another rep, push through it. And yet the mind, when it comes to psychology, does not work that same way. You might need outside resources or someone who could talk to or someone who is going to listen and help without judgment or without the lens of, is this making you a less competitive athlete? Because the truth is that the hard parts are the parts when you don't feel like you're hurt or that you're the only person who has ever felt that way or the only person who has ever experienced that. When I got to the Arizona Cardinals, there was a coach there. His name is Daryl Drake. Drake was on the offensive side of the ball. He didn't have to talk to me, right? His receivers coach. And yet when I was going to introduce myself, he said, coach, come on in. Coach, I want to talk to you. Okay. And he said, I heard you have a PhD in psychology. And I said, yes. And he said, I want you to know that is something that nobody else on this staff has. None of the other coaches can bring that to the conversation. You are uniquely qualified to help these men in those ways. So don't you dare 
ever leave that outside the meeting room. And I just remember kind of like, okay, because yes, it was something that was unique. And yes, it could be something that was considered special, but there are times and there are places and spaces where people don't want to hear about that stuff. And I had experienced that in parts of my career where it was stay in your lane or stick to the script, or that's not part of your job description because what I was technically there for was X's and O's. But the way that you get to X's and O's, you've got to be present. And if I could bring something that would help players to the equation, that's what he gave me the confidence to do. And Drake proceeded to tell me about the time when he was in Chicago and he was the receivers coach for Brandon Marshall. That was at the time when Brandon Marshall first was starting to come out about his mental health struggles. And it was one of the things where he said, it made me learn how to be a better coach. He said, I had to become more sensitive to what he needed from me in terms of communication, what he needed to be delivered in terms of information and the times when I might've needed to pull back as opposed to push forward because it wasn't just something that you could push through. And too often in sports, that's the challenge that we're not realizing that Mental health is not something that just needs to be, you know, taken on the chin or toughen up or push through. It's actually something that needs to be dealt with, something that deserves a coach or a person to be there and help you deal just like you would to game plan for a game or to learn a new tackling technique or to learn how to strengthen your biceps and triceps. Mental health is an important part of who we are. And it begs the question, why is there not someone who is on every staff or who is available to every athlete who not only understands mental health, but how that figures into the culture of sports, because it doesn't figure in the same way. As I mentioned earlier, you know, I, I could go out and play football tomorrow. I played against guys. There are people who still think that that's the craziest, most insane thing they've ever heard of, but that was my life. And that wasn't the biggest, hardest thing for me. And yet for an athlete, an injury that is considered career ending or career threatening, the psychological impact on an athlete is the death of a close family member. Let me say that again. The psychological impact of a career ending or threatening injury to an athlete is the death of a close family member. Now, why is that? Because it's an integral part of the athlete's identity. Being physically able to do these things is not only something that they do because they enjoy it, but this is their social circle. This is their income. This is their societal worth. We don't just say I play football. We say I am a football player. So when I'm no longer able to be a football player, if I am not fortified in the other elements of my identity, I am likely to experience what we call identity foreclosure, which means I am defined by one element of myself. And if that athlete self is taken away, that is the recipe often for an identity 
crisis. It is not the same for an athlete to experience some of these challenges, i.e. those that take us out of our performance element, as it is for somebody who does not depend on their athletic acumen or their athletic performance to succeed. So we have to understand that the magnifying glass that they're under makes them even more self-conscious to issues such as physical injuries, but also mental ones. Because what do we hear? We don't want them to think that I'm weak. We don't want them to judge me or think that I am soft. Depression is not about being soft. It's about being a real human who has real issues and has the weight of the world and the eyes of the world on them in a way that expects them to be all things to all people at all times and to perform to the level that most people could only reach in their dreams or for a moment. But we're supposed to do it consistently and train at the highest level and sacrifice a lot of the things that people get the most joy out of, which is time with your family, getting to go out and do just regular human stuff. You don't get to do it for a lot of reasons. Why? Because it could detract from performance, because you don't have the time, because people are watching and waiting for you to make one wrong move or to say one wrong thing. The pressure of being a professional athlete is intense. Now, yes, it does come with a tremendous upside and one that many people will never get to experience, one that many people do not understand and cannot relate to. And yet, that doesn't mean that athletes don't feel. And by the way, most of us feel more than we feel permitted to admit. Most of the questions that we ask are deeper than what most people will ever allow themselves to say. And yet it doesn't mean that they haven't felt them. But for some reason, it's more acceptable to feel human when you're not a professional athlete than when you are. And yet the flip side of that is if the toughest people, whether you're talking football or UFC, or boxing, or tennis, right? These tough, stellar athletes, these physical specimens who defy what we are naturally taught to believe that human beings are capable of, right? It's a level that is often likened to superheroes, right? We say they are superhuman. When we look at that and we see this example of excellence, physical excellence personified, and we realize that those humans also have human challenges and human emotions, and then they experience challenges with depression or mental health as well, then by opening up about it, by actually sharing that story, it encourages everybody to realize that it's okay, number one, to experience these things. Number two, it's okay to put yourself in the equation. And number three, it gives them permission to seek help. And if we can hope for anything, any really big, huge thing from Naomi Osaka and what she has gone through, it's that the people who 
heard her speak her truth, when they struggle, feel like it's okay to admit and speak theirs. And that's why it's so brave. It's not about just not playing in the tournament, right? She could have tanked a match and nobody would know. And yet she chose to withdraw and actually empowered others through admitting her challenges to sharing her emotional journey. And by doing that, showed that it is not about weakness, that it is about humanity. Chemical imbalances are tricky and it's not something that you just tough through. Sometimes there really is a need for medication. There's definitely a need for conversation. And if you don't open up, then the likelihood that you can get help before it's too late is very slim. It is hard to be great. It is hard to be among the best in the world. And yet we can't let it harden us. We can't let it dismiss the humanity. Too often, the people who are struggling with depression the most are those who people think are the toughest or even the funniest. They have become very good at wearing a mask of mental health or to shifting conversations to someone else, right? Comics are known for it. How do you deflect somebody from asking if you're okay? Use humor. Think about Robin Williams. He was one of the funniest men ever who suffered and suffered and was very much alone and used humor as a shield because when anybody got too close, he made them laugh. And by making them laugh, they assumed that he was laughing as well. And unfortunately, all too often, people who are perceived to be very, very strong are the ones who are not asked if they're okay. Or the ones who are very funny have learned to be very funny to deflect the attention from them so that they don't have to answer questions that they don't have the strength to answer. This is such an important time in our society. This conversation that Naomi Osaka didn't start, but she owned in her own way and in her own truth is one that we need to continue and we need to continue to open up about, and we need to continue to give permission to other people to own that truth, to open up, to share journeys and stories, because there's nothing really scarier in this world than thinking you're the only one. You're the only one who's ever felt this way. You're the only one who's ever done this, that nobody could possibly understand you, understand what you're feeling or how you get through it. And I can say that very honestly, because there have been times when I was the one of one. And so my hope for anyone listening to this would be that you realize that you have the ability to share your truth 
and share your struggles and that it is not weakness to seek out help. So that was my real open moment um, because I think it is so important. And I've heard some people really champion Naomi for what she's been discussing and, and talking about and going through and other people who, you know, thought she should just go out there and perform. Well, guess what? Those fans that are truly with her are with her on and off the court. And those ones who just want to see her perform so that she could dance because they wanted her to dance, baby girl, they don't even deserve to go to the dance that you're in. So for all of you out there, find your strength in finding others who appreciate you for who you are. And definitely don't be afraid to ask for help. I am Dr. Jen Welter. You have been watching The Juke, my amazing team, Matthew Davidson, who is behind the scenes making sure that we look good. Mitch Mullaney, who, you know, he, he didn't want to be around for the rant. No, I'm just kidding. Um, who is also the co-host with the most. Uh, make sure you follow us at the juke pod. I'm at jwelter47 on Twitter, welter47 on Instagram. And also hit that subscribe channel so that you know anytime that we are coming online, we will be back uh, next week. And we hope that you will join us back on the juke.